Hello friends and welcome to worship. I'm Pastor Jason. We are so glad you've joined us today for worship. We are taking a moment to look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and today we're going to be looking at Jesus' comment about how we don't want to be casting the benefits of what God's given to us just all around to different places, but we want to treasure those things. So we're glad you're with us. If this is your first time with us, would you take a moment, let us know that you're here, and we've got a gift card to Starbucks we'd love to send to you. You can, you can take a moment and go get one of those pumpkin spice lattes. They've got to be coming out soon. Don't want to miss it. So let us know that you're here. If you've been with us for a long time, you know that there's a number of ways you can grow in your faith. One of those ways is by going to switzer.church next. You'll find sermon questions there, a number of groups that are active, ways you can grow deeper in your faith. We encourage you to do that. Next up is Stephanie, and she's got some ways that you can connect this week at Schweitzer. Let's listen to Stephanie. Hi, welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Stephanie. Coming up this Friday, August the 26th, Schweitzer Kids is hosting a movie night. We had so much fun at our last movie night. This time we're showing Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. This will be a drive-in style movie behind the student center. We'll have the big screen up, so come early and grab a place and we'll start the movie about eight o'clock. You can grab snacks at our free concession stand. We just need you to sign up to let us know you'll be there so we'll have plenty of popcorn and snacks. You can sign up today at the Blue Booth or at schweitzer.church next. Also, when you sign up, you're signing up to possibly win a family gift basket. Schweitzer Student Ministry is hosting a parent and volunteer meeting on Wednesday, August 31st at 6.30 in the Student Center. We'll enjoy some food and talk about all the things coming up this fall. If you have students in the 7th through 12th grade or you're interested in jumping in to volunteer with this fun group, come find out more at this meeting on Wednesday, August 31st. On Thursday, September 1st, our second season ministry is hosting their monthly luncheon at 1130. This time we've invited leaders from the kitchen to come share how their ministry is making a difference in the community. You can learn more and sign up today at the Blue Booth or at schweitzer.church next. We are really gearing up for fall with many new classes, groups, and opportunities, including our Senior Saints Community Choir that meets on Tuesday afternoon, Bible classes, and much, much more. You can find out more on our groups page at schweitzer.church groups. And if you are new to Schweitzer, a great way to get to know more about us is by attending our all-in lunch next Sunday after the 1045 service. You can sign up at the Blue Booth today or talk to Corey to learn more. Once again, thank you so much for being here. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie. If you're worshiping with us live, we encourage you to take a moment Say hello to the people who are worshiping along with you in the chat feature. If you would like prayer, somebody would love to pray with you in the prayer room. You can go there and sign in. Now, our worship team is going to lead us in worship. Let's, with grateful, joyful hearts, join together in singing to the Lord. Lord is my 
presence of my enemies and Though the arrow flies And the terror of nights is at my door I'll trust you, Lord Surely goodness, surely mercy Right beside me As we come to a time of prayer, I'd like to invite you to join with me in a prayer from Ignatius of Loyola. Teach us, good Lord, to serve you as you deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to ask for any reward, except that of knowing that we do your will through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you to join me in saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
In worship, we give our gifts to the Lord, all of our gifts. We give the gift of our, of our voices. We give the gift of our prayers. We give the gift of our treasures. And God does some amazing things with all those things. He encourages others. He brings His joy and His goodness. And He extends His kingdom. One of the ways that our gifts, our tithes and offerings have been making an impact through Schweitzer for over two decades is through the presence of Grow to Know Preschool. This year, we're excited to introduce a new director of Grow to Know, Ms. Sherry Potts. And here's an introduction to Sherry. We invite you as you listen to Sherry to get to know her and to pray for her for the direction of Grow to Know for what God wants to do in that place. Let's take a listen to Sherry. Hi everyone, I'm Sherry Potts and I am the new director of Grow to Know, the preschool here on the Schweitzer campus. I am married to Gary Potts. This is our home church. I have been coming to Schweitzer now for 18 years. I am currently, or was, retired. I am currently trying to finish up a doctorate in education, curriculum, leadership, and instruction. Uh, if you've met me, you know that my passion is educators, teacher, and children, especially our children. I retired from education. I stayed retired for two months. But people came to me and they said, hey, you would be great for this position. Have you considered it? And my reaction was, no, I'm retiring. Who hasn't heard that I am retiring? And that is a full-time position. I promised him that I would keep an open mind, that I would start praying about it, and that I would help find the director that was going to be perfect for this position. Come to find out, <laughs> I'm the person that I think God wanted in this position. I went home, I discussed it for weeks with my husband. Again, my passion is educators and our children. And now my new passion is our children and our parents. Our educators need us, our parents need us, and kids need both of us to work together. I feel very fortunate that I have been able to and will follow in Jane's footsteps. She has done great work here at the preschool and I look forward to continuing that. There is a piece of working in the preschool that I was unprepared for and then I am extremely excited to be able to grow in and that is the ministry that we have not only towards our children, but we have a huge ministry towards our community here. The parents who bring their children in to the church every day. And one more thing, I just want you to check out our new Grow to Know logo. We are so excited to be rolling this out. I cannot wait to see that be um, a part of this church and side-by-side -side with the Schweitzer ministry. Once again, I'm so excited to be here and to be a part of the future of Grow to Know Preschool. We are so excited to have Sherry as the leader of Grow to Know Preschool. If you want to continue to be a part of what God is doing here, you can go to schweitzer.church give and give today, or you can use the Church Center app 
or you can mail a contribution to Schweitzer. We're so thankful for your generous, faithful giving. And now, let's take a listen to Spencer as he talks to us about pearls, pigs, and something else. Here he is. Blessed are the meek, the poor in spirit, the peacemakers, the persecuted. Seek God's kingdom. Care for widows. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Give, pray, fast. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. Well, friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here with us. We are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is this famous and influential sermon that Jesus preached. It's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we have been taking our time on this one. We started at Memorial Day weekend. We're going to go all the way to Labor Day weekend all summer long as we're looking at this just incredibly important sermon. Now, as we're walking through this, what we see is that what Jesus is teaching on is is what is life like in the kingdom of God? That's what he's really describing and teaching us about how how do we live our lives in the kingdom of God. And what we've seen, a, a few things so far. We saw that as he opened the sermon, that the kingdom of God and life in the kingdom of God is open to absolutely everyone. No one is too far lost or gone or, or too hopeless. Everyone is invited to come and experience life in the kingdom of God. And then as we've worked our way through the sermon, what we've really seen is that when Jesus is describing life in the kingdom of God, he's, he's talking about our hearts, who we are on the inside, because this is what really matters in life in the kingdom of God. It's not just that we are outwardly religious, because as we said throughout the series, you can do outwardly religious things. You can do all the right things on the outside, yet still on the inside, you can be far from God. And so as Jesus is talking about our hearts, he's describing you know, our character, our drive, our ambition, our emotions, our thoughts, who we are on the inside. This is what really matters in life in the kingdom of God. Now today, as we're nearing uh, Labor Day weekend, we're nearing the end of this, this series, we are going to start the last section of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. And this last section is grounded in a very famous verse. You, it's so famous. You don't have to go to church to know this verse. It's so famous. We call it the golden rule. Matthew 7, uh, verse 12. Jesus, he says this. He says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the, the anchor of this last section is this golden rule of doing to others what we would want them to do to, do to us. And so everything we read in this last section is anchored in this. So, so today we're going to read um, six verses, Matthew 7, 1 through 6. It's not going to read that, that verse in particular, but even as we read these verses, we're really driving towards the golden rule of what Jesus teaches and, and this, this truth of, of, of what holds all of this together. So today, Matthew 7, 1 through 6, Jesus is going to teach us about hypocrisy, judgmentalism, condemning others. Here's what he says. He says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, another word we could have used there is instead of judge is you could have used the word condemn, which might be a little bit more helpful word. Do not condemn others. In the same way you condemn others, you'll be condemned. And of course, this is a, an incredibly hard thing to do. And I mean, to not condemn others, especially you think about the, the world in which we live. And it's like condemning others is, 
is like everywhere. I mean, this is like the air that we breathe and the culture that we live in today that we just want to condemn others. I mean, I, I see this especially, we see this especially like in the political realm. I mean, it's not so much that people disagree sometimes on policy about how to live our lives and how to structure our country, but it's like sometimes the people that we disagree with, it's not just that we disagree with them, it's like we start to condemn them as bad people. And we just, we, we start to we start to cancel them and we don't want to listen to them and we just dismiss them. And this is kind of how the political world works and it works this way in lots of places in our culture. This is the root of what we call cancel culture, that we don't even have to listen to people anymore. We just, we just condemn them. And of course, I don't need to berate that point very much, but this is just the, the culture we live in. You've seen it, I've seen it, we've all seen it, that this is the way that, that so many people live their lives. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's, let's pump the brakes on that. Like this may be the way of the world that we condemn other people. We just dismiss them and judge them and don't have anything to do with them. But this is not what life is like in the kingdom of God. And, and this temptation to, to condemn people, it's not a new thing just with our society today. I mean, it's been around forever. I mean, think about what it was like uh, for Jesus and his followers. I mean, think about this, for, for instance. Jesus had a disciple whose name was Simon. And the New Testament calls him Simon the zealot. Now what that means is that he was a, a zealot, which is a kind of almost like a political group that believed in the overthrow of the government. So Jesus had a follower who, who, who became his disciple, who before he was a disciple believed in armed revolution against the Romans. Now at the same time, Jesus had another follower, another disciple, whose name was Matthew, who wrote what we're reading here. And before he became a follower of Jesus, Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collectors worked for the Romans. Like he got rich working for the Romans. He had, Jesus had a follower who got rich working for the Romans and another one who believed in the overthrow of the Roman government through armed revolution. Can you imagine what it was like for these two guys to spend every single day together? What, what would dinner conversations have, have, have been like? What would the temptation have been like for these two guys to condemn one another to judge each other, to, to not listen to each other, to just think the worst of each other. Like, like this is a, a very real temptation. And Jesus is like, listen, this might be how the world works. You just dismiss people, condemn people, judge them, cancel them. You do, you do that. But that is not what life is like in the kingdom of God. I re remember the anchor verse to this last section. We do to others as we'd have them do to us. Now, Jesus keeps going here. He's going to dig down on this this, uh, this temptation to condemn other people. And here's what he says next. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, now listen to how many times Jesus uses the word brother here. We're talking specifically about the Christian community. How do we interact with, with one another in the church? He goes on, he says, how can you say to your brother, there's the word again, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now it's tempting to, to hear Jesus say something here that he's not really saying. It's, it's tempting to think that what Jesus just told us is that we don't need to be concerned at all with what people do or, or behaviors that we have, especially in the Christian community. But that's not what Jesus just said. I mean, Jesus is, is telling us 
uh, how it is that we should go around correcting sin and correcting wrongdoing. Not that we should just dismiss everything and affirm everything and set aside biblical standards. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's rather, he's saying how to do it. And the key to to doing this well, to correcting people and to to correct wrongdoing is, is that first and foremost, we have to take the plank out of our own eye. We have to be able to see clearly before we can help anyone else. And, and, the, and the problem is, is that we gravitate towards only seeing the problem in other people without seeing it first in ourselves. And this always leads to hypocrisy. Now, you don't have to dig very deep uh, to, to see that really what's underneath this hypocrisy and what's underneath this condemning and judging is really um, something that we call self-righteousness. I mean, that's really at the heart of all of this, this kind of hypocrisy where you see it in other people, but you don't see it in yourselves. And, and self-righteousness, oh my goodness, we don't talk about this enough in church, but self-righteousness, I, I believe, is the most dangerous mentality, or I'm just going to call it sin, that a Christian can possibly participate in. Let's say it again. Self-righteousness is the most dangerous sin that a Christian can possibly participate in. I, I believe that fully and firmly. And, and I see it being so dangerous for at least two reasons. So let me show you those two reasons in action. And let's go to Luke chapter 18. And I want to show you a, a story. This is a parable that Jesus tells that highlights these two reasons so incredibly well. Why this is so dangerous. But listen to this, this story that Jesus told. This is uh, Luke 18, starting in verse 9. It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, that is self-righteousness, that is what that means, that they're self-righteous. And because they're confident of their own righteousness, they looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now Pharisees are the religious leaders. These are the people who take the religion very seriously. And the tax collector, uh, these are people who uh, are corrupt. They work for the Romans. They uh, pad their pockets. They, these are people who, who, are, who, who really uh, work against the Jewish people. And, and they, are, they are really sinful in the way that they take advantage of people and that they skim off the top of the taxes that they take. Like it would have it been a surprising thing to see a tax collector at the temple. But here are these two men at the temple. The story keeps going. Jesus says this next. He says, the Pharisee, stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. (laughs) He says, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Look at all the good things I do in my life. Oh my goodness, God, I thank you that my life is so good and put together and that you are blessing me so richly and you're blessing me so much because of all of the good that I do, not like these other guys over here, but because of all this, I just thank you that you're blessing me so much. Like this is self-righteousness. It's, it's seeing myself compared to someone else and thinking that I'm doing really better than I am. But Jesus goes on with the story. He says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and would not even look up to heaven, but just beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We see here these danger of self-righteousness so clearly 
portrayed. And really we see two, two reasons why self-righteousness is so dangerous. First, and maybe most obviously what we see in this parable that Jesus tells us, is that when we adopt self-righteousness like this Pharisee, uh, we cut ourselves off from God's grace and consequently from the cross. I mean, if you think about these two men, uh, what we see here, Jesus tells us one of them goes home justified before God, one of them doesn't. One of them is open to God's grace, one of them isn't. And the one who is not open to God's grace is the one who doesn't see his need for God's grace. This is one of the things that self-righteousness does is it cuts us off from the free gift of salvation that we have through Jesus, our Lord, because, because we don't see our need for it. And as we are self-righteous and we see our, ourselves maybe better than other people or we see ourselves justified in our own eyes, what happens is that we no longer need God's grace and consequently the cross is irrelevant to our lives because we have cut ourselves off from the need for this because we have, we've become self-righteous. And the reason we do this is the second reason why self-righteousness is so dangerous. And again, we see this in the parable clearly shown to us is that when we become self-righteous, um, when we become self-righteous, we become blinded to what's true. I mean, we think about the Pharisee. The Pharisee comes to the temple and, and he looks at these, these evil people or he sees people in the streets and he thinks to himself, oh my goodness, I'm doing so much better than them. This is his whole view of his standing with God is how am I doing compared to other people? And as I compare myself to other people, he gives thanks to God that he's not like those other people. He, he doesn't see himself in the right light. He doesn't see himself in the true light. In the, in the same way, the, the, the uh, tax collector comes to the temple and he beats his breast and he gives him, you know, praise humbly for God's mercy. And, and you think about this tax collector. This tax collector obviously has done wrong things. He's hurt people, obviously, by, by his corruption and how he's benefited from taking advantage of other people. But I, I bet there were worse people than this tax collector. Like, I doubt he's, I don't know, murdered anyone, right? I, I, I doubt he's, you know, maybe, maybe he's even been faithful in his marriage. He's got a leg up on some people there. So even he would still have, you know, room to compare himself to other people. And, and yet instead what he does is he sees the truth that he is in the same boat as everyone else. And so because he, he lacks the self-righteousness, he has this ability to see the truth that I need God's forgiveness and grace just as much as anyone else. Maybe I compare better or worse, it doesn't matter. We're all in the same boat. And this is what the, the tax collector is able to see. You see, self-righteousness, it blinds you to what is true. And it, it, it blinds you to, to be able to see what it, what, it, what it is that's accurately in front of us. And, and what happens is we, we become deceived about our real standing with God. Let me give you a practical example of this. Um, let's pretend, let's imagine that it's uh, 2 a.m., everyone is asleep in your house, and you have a new baby in the house, like a few months old. And at 2 a.m., what do, what do babies do at 2 a.m.? Well, they wake up and they start crying. And let's say you're laying in bed and you hear the baby crying in the other room and, and you think to yourself, tell us from the husband's perspective, Wives can say the same story in the, from their perspective. I'll tell us from the husband's perspective. But you think to yourself, gosh, I sure hope my wife wakes up to take care of that baby. Because it's 2 a.m., you're not like excited to get up and go spend time with the baby. No, you want to you sleep. And so you hear the baby crying and you think to yourself, I, I sure hope she gets up and takes care of the baby, but she, she doesn't stir. And so you hear the baby cry for a little while longer and you're kind of you know, hearing this and you're thinking to yourself, does she, not, does she not hear the baby crying? 
How does she not hear the baby crying? How could she possibly not hear this baby crying? Why isn't she getting up to take care of the baby? And as your, your thoughts kind of go down this, this road a little bit, you start to think a little bit darker and you start to think to yourself, I, I bet she's not getting up to this baby, take care of this baby because she's pretending to be asleep. And you know why you think that? Because that's what you're doing. You're, you're pretending to be asleep at the same time. And so you, you think this, I bet she's pretending to be asleep. And, and after the baby keeps going a little while longer, your thoughts get darker and darker. And you start to think to yourself, why is she not getting up to take care of this baby? What, how lazy can she be? And the baby keeps crying. You keep hearing it. You're starting to get even more worked up. Your thoughts go even darker. And so you start to think to yourself, even taking this personally, you're like, doesn't she know I have to work in the morning? Does, does, why does she want me to fail at my job? Why is she so much against me? And this is how your thoughts keep going. They get darker and darker and darker. And eventually your, your, your wife or your husband wakes up and goes and takes care of the baby and doesn't say anything and comes back to bed after, after she's taken care of the baby. Now you wake up the next morning and you're irritated by just everything she says. And, and, and something happens, maybe you get in a fight over like a trivial thing, like, I don't know, like the coffee wasn't strong enough and you start to fight about how to make coffee. Why, why did you get in a fight about how to make coffee or, or, or these trivial things you're just irritated by because of what she does? Well, here's why. Because you had a conversation in your head that didn't actually happen. <laughs> you, you've been self-deceived in this. You, you started to justify yourself that I can act however I want to because she's been uh, so uh, actively working against me. Like you have adopted self-righteousness that has now deceived you to what is actually true. Like this is what happens with self-righteousness is we become blinded to the truth and, and we start to justify ourselves and our behavior against other people because, because we think we're, we're comparing well for them. And, and Jesus is, is warning us that this is a dangerous, dangerous path to go down. This self-righteousness, where we start to compare ourselves to other people, this is what leads to the hypocrisy that, that Jesus is warning about. And let's just be really brutally honest here. We have to guard ourselves against this hypocrisy because the temptation for self-righteousness is so strong and, and it is so uh, appealing because self-righteousness, let's just be honest, it feels good. It feels good to compare ourselves to other people. It does. It feels good to, to think about how everyone else is doing wrong things and not have to look at my own sin and take stock of my own life. Oh my goodness, that, that is a way of living that feels good. It's the temptation it is always right before us. But if we think about the Sermon on the Mount in the, in the big picture of what we've seen all summer, well, we know that in the Sermon on the Mount that life in the kingdom of God, it's not just about our outward behavior, it's really about our hearts. And we can do all the outward religious things we want. But if our hearts are far from God, we ourselves are living afar from him. We are, we are far from him. We are, we are in need of his grace, of his mercy, of his forgiveness. Like we, we need him. And so you can live your lives with this outward religious behavior and yet miss life in the kingdom of God. And, and when you do that, what you, what you walk around with is a plank in your eye that's so big that you're actually even blinded to it. You see, Self-righteousness, it leads to this hypocrisy that, that blinds us to what's true because our eyes are filled with just comparing ourselves to others. The great Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he, um, he writes this. This is so wise. He says, if when we judged others, 
our real motive was to destroy evil, we should look for evil where it is certain to be found, and that is in our own hearts. But if we are on the lookout for evil in others, our real motive is obviously to justify ourselves, for we are seeking to escape punishment for our own sins by passing judgment on others and are assuming by implication that the word of God applies to ourselves in one way and to others in another. See, self-righteousness is so dangerous because on one hand, it cuts us off from God's grace because we don't see the need for a savior. And it's also dangerous because it blinds us to what's true and how we need to take stock of our own life and what needs to change within us. Now, as we read through Matthew 7 and these verses and we think about the hypocrisy that Jesus is pointing out, um, it is, it's possible as you read through these verses that a question starts to emerge um, in our minds. And so let's go back to Matthew 7. I want to wrap up what the, the, this thought that Jesus gives us because there's a, there's a way of reading this that, that maybe wraps up into a question that we start to think to ourselves, well, if, if Jesus is calling us to not judge others, does this mean that there's no room for judgment at all? Do we just need to set aside you know, biblical standards and, and, and what the Bible teaches about what is right and wrong um, in order to not judge other people? And so we want to address that question as we wrap this up. And so let's go back to Matthew 7. And I want to read the last thought that Jesus gives us here. It's Matthew 7, verse 6. And it's, it's a bit of a, a proverb, kind of cryptic, but it's, but it's addressing that question because after Jesus addresses, do not judge others, he wraps up with this line. And so here's how he wraps up this thought. He says, do not give dogs what is sacred, do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, I think it's fascinating that Jesus starts with do not judge. He talks about this sawdust and plank and these things in our eyes. And then he comes to this cryptic kind of proverb about throwing our pearls before pigs and dogs and treasures. And, and really what he's talking about here is, is as you live in this world, you have to be discerning. Your pearls before pigs is an, an undiscerning kind of way of life. And what Jesus is calling us to is that you have to live with a certain kind of wisdom as you navigate the world and discern about what is right and what is wrong. And so, yes, we don't want to judge people, right? We, we don't want to condemn people to, to cast them off and to throw them away. But at the same time, we have to live with a certain kind of wisdom as we navigate what's right and wrong. And this is an incredibly hard thing to, to live with, especially in, in modern American culture today, to, to navigate this line between, I don't want to judge anyone, and yet at the same time, I've, I've got to hold on to, the, to what the Bible teaches and to navigate this with, with, with wisdom. I mean, I think about that old line, I bet you've heard it before, um, love the sinner, hate the sin, you've heard this before. Uh, some people think that this line traces all the way back in some form to the fourth century, that, that we've been saying this for a long, long time, that we're gonna love the sinner, hate the sin. And some of us hear that line and we probably hate it because it sounds so cliche and simplistic. But the, you know, this line was teaching us is that we want to be the kinds of people who love people. We value people. We understand that these are people that Jesus died for. He died for, died for everyone. And so everyone has value, everyone has worth. And at the same time, we don't affirm everything. That's a hard line to walk, especially in modern American culture, because the way that the, the modern mind and, and modern American mind works today is that that kind of thinking has come out of fashion. Because really the way that, that the world works today is that if you disapprove of something that I do, generally it's thought that you disapprove of who I am as a person. 
If you condemn what I do, then therefore you condemn who I am. This is the way that the, the modern mind has come to work. And, and this is especially felt, especially in the, in the debate around uh, things like sexuality. One time I, I was preaching a sermon and I, and I read from a, a place in the Bible, Romans chapter one. I didn't offer any commentary. I was just reading the passage and part of the passage had to deal with same-sex relationships. I didn't make any commentary. I just read the passage. And later someone came and accused me of inciting violence against LGBT people because I, I read this passage. And I was thinking to myself, I mean, my head was spinning when, when this person accused me of this because I was thinking to myself, all I did was read the Bible in church. And yet to, to disapprove of what someone does or to, to take some stance is in a modern American mind is to actually disapprove of who that person is. And so maybe you've noticed this as well, that the word um, tolerance has really come to take on a different meaning in modern life. It used to be things like acceptance and, and allowing differences, but now it's come to mean more like affirmation and affirming things. And, and this is how the world has worked. And so if we're going to walk this line that Jesus teaches us, that on one hand, we are not going to judge people. We're not going to condemn people. We're not going to think that we're better than people. But this same time, we're going to be people who understand that there is certain wisdom required as you walk through the world, understanding what is right and wrong according to what the Bible teaches. That's a, that's a hard line to walk, especially in the world that we live in today. I used to have a mentor who would say this. He would say, you know, it's, it's one thing to be judgmental. It's another thing entirely to make an accurate assessment. <laughs> so it's one thing to be judgmental, right? It's one thing to condemn people and cancel people and, and dismiss people and push them away and exclude them. It's another thing entirely when you make a wise decision about what is wrong and what, about what is right. It's a hard line to walk. So as we wrap this up today, I want to I offer you a, um, a practical example of this, just something to think through about, like, how would you navigate this, this, um, this teaching that Jesus gives us of, of the wisdom required and yet this this humility to not judge other people. So I'm going to give you a real life example. Um, I'm not going to give you a solution to this example because I just want to use it as a, as a, you know, what would you do in this scenario? And this is real life, um, something that I dealt with. And I just, I'm just going to pose this to you and, and offer you just this thought of, of how would you apply this teaching in this, in this example? So here it is. Um, when I was first out of seminary, uh, my first job was at a, a very large church in Tulsa. And uh, one of the things I did at that church was I started a Sunday night service that was geared towards young adults. And um, after we've been doing this for some time, there was this man in his mid to late 20s, I don't remember how old he was, who started to come. And after a couple of weeks of attending, he asked for a one-on-one -on -one meeting with, with me as the pastor of this service. So I took the meeting. As we sat down, he then told me that he was a registered sex offender. He had recently gone out of prison. He had limitations about where he could live and work. And his probation officer was requiring him that if he was going to be part of a church, that he would get written permission from the pastor. What would you do? Well, for me, Matthew 7 became very real. I mean, do not judge and have this wisdom to walk through this with, uh, with uh, discernment as we understand what is right and wrong and protecting people. And I, I, I don't know of any class of people who are more judged in our society than registered sex offenders.
And, and so here's like a real life example. Like what would you do in this situation? Again, I'm not going to offer you what our solution was, but I just want to, to pose this to you as a practical example of, of how we navigate these kinds of questions, even times where it makes us uncomfortable and it pushes us into places where, where we don't even want to think about. Because the thing is, as Jesus is talking here about do not judge and yet at the same time have wisdom as you navigate the world, what he's talking about here is how do we navigate relationships with real people in real situations? People who may make us uncomfortable, people who may push us into things that, that, that make us feel uneasy, people, people who, who may do things that we don't approve of or we don't see as being right according to what the Bible teaches or being harmful to others. And yet at the same time, these are people that Jesus died for. You see, life in the kingdom of God, there's no room to condemn. There's no room to exclude. There's no room to push people away. There's no room to think that we're better than anyone else because the truth is we're all in the same boat. We're all in need of a savior. And yet at the same time, we have to walk with wisdom as we discern the way of the world, we discern how we live in the world to live in a way that pleases God. This is what life in the kingdom is like. Let's pray together. And so, Father, as we consider uh, this teaching of Jesus today, would you give us the humility, first of all, to see ourselves in the right light? Where there is self-righteousness, would you bring this into our minds, into our thoughts, into our relationships? We can repent of this and confess this and understand that we ourselves need to take the plank out of our own eye before we begin to look at anyone else. And at the same time, Lord, give us wisdom Give us wisdom to discern and to navigate the world as you would have us to live. We understand that you love everyone and that you invite everyone to come into relationship with you, even people who make us uncomfortable, people who push us beyond what we're easy with. And so God, today, would you give us the humility, the humility to live like Jesus in this broken world that we find ourselves. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Friends, thank you so much for being in worship with us today. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad that you continue to dig into what God's Word is saying to us. It says so much, and and each and every week there's something new that stands out. God's voice is fresh and new each and every day. So thank you for being here with us today. A big thanks to the production team who helped put this together, to Stephanie, to Alec, who's behind the scenes, and, and Taylor and some other folks, to Spencer for that great sermon. To our worship team, a big thank you to everyone. If this sermon, if this worship experience encourages you, we encourage you to take a moment and share it with those through, around you through social media. And we look forward to seeing you next week when we'll dig into week number 14 of the Sermon on the Mount, where we're going to be talking about the golden rule. It'll be a great Sunday. We look forward to seeing you next week.
shackles I wear I bought on my own The scarlet sins had a crimson cause You nailed my debt to that old rugged cross An empty slave Thank God that stone was rolled away. Lord, I confess I've been the prodigal made for your house, but walked my own Then she.
debt to that old rugged cross An empty slate at the empty grave Thank God that stone was wrong